0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Satsang Podcast. Today we have a really special guest, uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera. She has a new book out right now called How to Do the Work. Uh, We get into that and we just dive deep on a lot. Um, A lot of the stuff that I brought up is actually stuff that is in her book that I haven't even read yet. Um, But it was probably one of the coolest flows of a podcast of any of any that I've done, we were just kind of compounding um, really cool thoughts and concepts and, and relating to, to each other in a really cool way as the podcast went. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys dig the conversation as much as I do. Um, and yeah, without further ado, here's Dr. Nicole. All right, Dr. Nicole, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. Thank you so much for, uh, for making time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I've been um, I've been following you for a while, um, and I very much enjoy um, the little pieces of wisdom that you share. Um, And I kind of want to start present, and then and we'll work backwards from there. Um, Congrats on your new book! Thank you. It's crushing. It looks like
1: it's doing Um, mind blowing.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm a huge, huge Jordan Peterson fan, and I could not imagine writing a book and seeing my book uh, next to Jordan Peterson's books. That's so cool.
1: It is. It's definitely been a, a whirlwind of emotions from start to finish, the whole book project. So I have all the feels been coming up this past week, in particular.
0: Yeah, I bet it's. You know, it's similar to I would imagine making a record. You know, you spend a year plus on this thing and then there's the phase of like finalizing it and then getting the and then there's always this moment when it's released to the world that's just like it's crazy because it's like really climactic like okay now this work is (laughs) out here for everyone but it's also like okay so we're done now you know (laughs) like it's it's weird
1: Yeah, absolutely. I bet there's a lot of similarities Um, and I've been listening to your music for quite some time and especially with the work that you put out there, it sounds to be very much emblematic of the way you think in your journey and I think anytime we're sharing those aspects of ourself, it's very vulnerable and it does feel like here I am all naked and then very in in many ways and difficult in others, of course.
0: Yeah, so let's tell me about your book. It's called How to Do the Work. Tell me what spawned you to write it and a little bit about what people can can expect from it.
1: For sure. So I was offered the opportunity to put my work into a book um, shortly after I created the Instagram account, The Holistic Psychologist, which for me was a really big pivot uh, in terms of how I had been working professionally. Um, Up until that point, um, I was living in Philadelphia. I was trained as a clinical psychologist. I had the practice where clients came um, for talk therapy week after week. Uh, As a human, I've been on the other side of the couch in my own treatment. um, For me, specifically around lifelong anxiety, panic attacks, OCD-like symptoms. So really understood both sides of the treatment experience. And what I found in my own practice several years in is incredible disempowerment. Um, Not only did I find myself continuing to cycle, Um, through habits and patterns that weren't serving me, despite increasing insight, and of course, increasing tools, learning how to be the practitioner in the room, I saw the same patterns in my clients week after week, incredible amounts of insight, and really the inability to bridge that gap from insight into action. So for me, creating the account, The Holistic Psychologist, was an opportunity for me to begin to talk about what I believe is the future of psychology, um, with us moving toward a more integrated, holistic um, format, where we really do honor um, the integratedness of our our whole experience as humans, our minds, our bodies, and our souls. So the Instagram account, like I said, was my first um, kind of sending of this message, and very soon after as quickly as as you know followers started to to pick up on the account really for me that was emblematic of how universal some of this stuff was that i was talking about and how wanted it was so soon after i had the opportunity um, to put it down in a book which for me was really important because i understood the limitations of instagram of those tiny squares and our caption and our limits and i really did understand the need to unpack this theory in, in the format of a book. So that is when I began the journey of writing said book, of course.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because there's the, you know, your Instagram, but you have like three and a half million followers, right? I'm
1: blowing That's
0: up. That is so crazy. That's so many human beings. Um, and I think what's crazy about Instagram is that I think the average person, social media has kind of trained us to have this little, tiny attention span. Right. But I think what's important with pages like yours, as opposed to like, you know, here's a video of a cat being a dick is that it's like, um, sometimes I know for me when I'm just mindlessly scrolling, I'll see something that hits me really deep. And it's usually just that little square with the sentence in it. That kind of makes me go, what am I doing on this thing, you know? And then I throw it away, and then I kind of chew on what I just read. And your and your page is really good for that. As someone too that, you know, my wife is a is a clinical psychologist, and I uh, have spent two years on the couch, not with her, but with another practitioner. And I think um, I connect really deeply with what you're saying because I think there is a lot of good that comes from the talk therapy. Right for me, I'm a very pragmatic. Um, If I can give it a name, then I can understand it. But but it kind of has a limit, right? Of this. Okay, well now that I understand that all of my actions are somehow linked to this childhood trauma, what do I do with it? And what's the next step? Um, And that's where I kind of got to a place with therapy, where I kind of stepped away from it. You know, there were some big, huge breakthroughs, but I definitely got to a place where it was like okay, cool. So now I can, I can follow the pathology of why I am this way to this thing. But now what, you know, the only thing that's really given me is I can catch myself sometimes in the action and go, oh, this isn't me. This is my dad when he was a dick to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Just the, um, you know, just your theory on kind of what comes next after you can give your pathology a name.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of us can gain relief um, when we have that name, when we have that category, right, of symptoms that make that can make sense um, for us, it can be, you know, our our insight, our understanding, our why. Um, and I'll only speak from my own lived experience and and those of my clients um, with whom they shared their experience with me. I will go as far to say is as we increase our insight, that understanding of our why, tracing it back as many many of us do to our lineages, right, to our caregivers and patterns that we see in them. I'll go as far to say is, I think that can be one of the most frustrating places to be with increasing understanding, with the ability to almost in real time, right? See that old reaction, yet we can't stop ourselves from making that reaction. So for me, this work was really born out of that that low of disempowerment, that, that feeling, and again, just speaking from my own lived experience of it, of helplessness, of powerlessness, of the life really happening to me, because I didn't have yet that ability to create change based on the insight that I was um, uncovering for myself. And then, like I said, working with clients, I began to see this this pattern mirrored in them. Um, Even hearing at times frustration, oh, I'm coming in week after week and I I know what to do differently. Yet every time my partner says this thing or every time this happens in my life or with my boss, I can't help myself. And so I really dove into first, beginning to understand, wanting to understand, being curious of why are we all running around so stuck? That was the number one word that I kept coming up against and kept resonating with myself. And what I came to understand is that when we're in that very insightful place, quite often in front of a therapist, where we're tracing back our patterns, maybe even uncovering their source, likely even coming up with a new plan of action for the next time, we're actually operating from a different part of our brain. Um, We're in our conscious state. It lives in our prefrontal cortex right behind our our forehead. Um, And it's actually the the area of the brain that differentiates us from humans. We have that ability to see how past action didn't serve us and to plan for a future that's different. That's why we can create um, as much as we can. However, when we're living the moment, so many of us, unbeknownst to ourselves even, Are slipping back into a deeper part of our mind. Um, I call it the subconscious where all of those older habits and patterns and woundings and adaptations that were often our best attempt at tolerating our earliest environments where we did not have control or choice. All of those live there. So what happens to simplify it is insight, we have beautiful insight, beautiful new plans of action from our conscious mind, and then we're slipping back into our autopilot, we'll call it, Mm -hmm. and repeating those actions. And very understandably, then, we feel powerless because in a very real way, we are. We don't yet have the space to begin to create and make new choices. And our conscious mind, and I always talk about consciousness being the foundation for change, because until we start to operate from that different place of our our mind, we don't have that space to make new choices. We literally are a living reaction in so many ways.
0: Ooh, that last sentence, though. Ooh, Um, yeah, living reaction. Um, Yeah, for me, um, man, there's so much to unpack there. That was all just dead on. Um, I think, you know, for me, again, I can only speak from my personal experience. Um, one thing that was really helpful in my talk therapy was I have a tendency to, um, limit boundaries, say I can do it all. I have everybody. Um, I don't need to mitigate stress. I don't need to, uh, (laughs) to have any sort of balance. I can power through anything. Let's go. Um, And I think that all stems from this idea of nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to save me. I am here by myself. I am a sentient being with no help available. Um, What was powerful for me in therapy was after months and months, my therapist finally suggested that we really go back through my story, start at my earliest memory and go through. And it was a really slow process, you know, in each hour long session, maybe we'd get through a year, maybe two, and we traced it back to these two moments um, that I had almost forgotten about. Where the um, you know I grew up in a very abusive household, and there was two moments where both my biological parents I essentially begged them for help in the situation, and their reaction to that showed me that I was alone, and and unbeknownst to me. It, It's like a cattle brand. It just branded, no one's coming to save you, buddy. Um, And it's wild how, like you're saying, in that subconscious, that back part of our brain, that is this stored understanding that I'm on my own. No one is coming to save me. No one is coming to help me. I must do everything myself. I can have a very supportive wife. I can have close friendships, but at the end of the day, it's just me. Um, And what I started realizing was that most of my reactions came from that space of me believing that i was an island no one was on my team and at the end of the day it was just me um but the most powerful thing and something that i really want to dig into with you and get your take on for me the biggest part of my journey with understanding myself was the rejection of victimhood and saying to myself perhaps all of these things and this is where it zooms i think out of a clinical psychologist realm and into the like ethereal which is perhaps all of these things happened for me and not to me and that I was given this life cycle through with all of this early tribulation to prepare me for my greater work which was to be a songwriter and a performer um, and and I want your your take on that because I think I see a lot of pathological traits in people because of those agreements that they make with thyself. Well, I am this way because I was abused as a child. I am this way because no one helped me. And, um, and for me, that rejection of victimhood was the game changer for me. But when you say that to people, it comes off very insensitive to say, well, don't be a victim, man. You know, it's that bootstrap mentality. Mm-hmm. What's a bridge there for you?
1: Yeah, I, I'll go as far too as I watch my work quite often uh, misinterpret it in that direction where, you know, I, I do hear this idea that I am um, prescribing um, people be on those islands. And, and that's not the the basis of the work at all. And I was shaking my head when, as you were sharing your own experience, Drew, because I resonate with so much of that at my core. Um, living in a family that was preoccupied with very real, typically health, medical related stressors in life, very little very little of my, my parents, my caregiver's attention was available to me, especially in those moments where there was the next fire to put out. So at my core, um, I very similar to you, have a deep, the way my mind made sense of it, I have a very deep rooted belief that I'm not considered, very similarly left alone within my feelings. Um, and uh, for me, and I just wanna go back to this idea of victimization, because um, I was very intentional you know, in describing or very reactive mode of being that most of us are are operating from. Our subconscious becomes very reactive upwards of 90, 95% of our day. Most of us as adults are operating from that reactive space. So it's very understandable that we can begin to identify with that label of victimized feeling at the whim of the world because we are. Because again, that space isn't there where I can empower myself and say, okay, these reactions might be stored in my subconscious because of what had happened to me that maybe I don't necessarily believe I've had control over. Yet now I as an adult can empower myself to create that space and begin to choose, there's that word again, new responses. So until we make that shift, um, I call that this concept of victimization. I I have a different name for it because I believe that it comes right from all of those ego stories that live in our subconscious, all of the beliefs about who we think we are, based on our very real earliest experiences that i call ego consciousness that reactive way of being so when i my sense of self is threatened as it may is day in and day out i become defensive Um, and until again we expand we see more fully our story and we empower ourselves to make new choices despite what might have at one time been out of our control it's very understandable to left being feeling like a victim or victimized and I'll be the first one to identify with that. I was smiling even more so when I heard you sharing your story because I was just having this conversation with my partner this morning. How I come by that story, that internalized narrative of I don't have choice, I don't have control very easily and naturally. Um, and the byproduct of that is still my journey to let people in, to show them and ask for the support because at my core, again, I'm not familiar with that. I'm not familiar with having supportive adults around me or now peers around me to share space or to hold space for me when I'm having a feeling. So again, it's so interesting how all of the layers of the work um, form like an onion around us. And so the goal of course is not only to empower ourselves to create choice where there once wasn't um, shifting from ego consciousness into empowered consciousness. um, Though within that, we shift our entire way of being and doing so that's very unfamiliar very uncomfortable and for a lot of us that means asking for the support letting people in coming off our island and receiving or allowing ourselves to be received by someone else because for many of us it does our our beliefs about ourselves are so ingrained into how we've been experiencing ourselves thus far
0: yeah and it's and it's interesting too i think because the patterns you know, me, you know, those patterns of believing I am by myself, no one's coming to save me. They served me for a very, very long time. They served me through so many parts of um of growing up because, you know, I I was surrounded by so many people in my late teens, early twenties that had a that had a safety net, you know. So they were able to kind of operate in this thing because well, I can fall back, my parents will help me. Um You know, I did, I think, three winters in Chicago without heat and refused to ask for help because I said, no, man, this is my problem. This is nobody else's problem. This is my life. This is my living situation. So I got to figure this out. Um, And it it built a fortitude in me that – that has helped me make my business very successful and is, and has helped me in, in in so many ways. So I think where it gets, it's tricky with those pathologies and those agreements that we make with ourselves is noticeably we can point to the past where they helped. You know, I wouldn't have survived without that mentality. I would have, I would have crumbled. Um, and in a business sense, it's helped me in all of these ways. So it's, it's weird to, um, The integration process is hard to go, okay, well, here's this thing as a whole. Here's this. uh, I'm by myself. I'm an island. So what are the good parts of this that I get to keep? And what are the parts that I have to give up that are detrimental to my relationships, my physical health because of the way I'm holding stress and all of that? And and it's so hard to sift through that on our own, Um, which is why I think psychology is so important. And and I love that it's becoming normalized for people to go to therapy, um, and I love that people like you are writing writing books. You know, for for s- I'm a big nonfiction guy. I can't, I you know, if I pick up a book, I have no desire to read about some, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's Joseph Campbell that's like explaining some like you know, here's a fake story, but here's the here's the realness in it. Um, so I'm really really excited to read your book. Um, because Jordan Peterson, the way he, my wife was like, I couldn't even finish it. It was too dry for me. <laughs> but for me, I was reading these chapters just like, holy shit, this is me. This dude's talking about me, you know. Um, so if you could talk a little bit about that, that sifting process of like where we can point to trauma and pathology that serves us and how we can sift through the shit in that pathology that's bad, that hurts relationships and stuff like that. I'd be curious to get your take on that.
1: Very similar um, to what you're sharing. I, I too kind of found a way, this is the language again I use, is to channel um, a lot of my aloneness, a lot of the deep um, internal agitation, anxiety that I felt surrounding that aloneness. And for me, my two channels became achieving um, achieving typically, or it started with academically and athletically. And then I began in my, in my more recent past to observe, observe all of the ways that I attempt to achieve even within my relationships. So, and on the surface that very confusing many of us grow up in a culture where achievement is celebrated where the degrees after my name you know get me accolades get people including my family right to show up in 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 support of me and in you know an appreciation of that aspect of my being and i i really began to see how much expectations um i was operating around. So, yes, there are a lot of aspects around our of our adaptations that do serve us. So for me, you know, the ability to put my attention and focus into achieving whatever it is or into holding myself up to a standard is part of what I will retain. However, I think the goal for us all is to cultivate choice. Cultivate two things, the ability to pull back from the macro and say, okay, these are where those adaptations came from. Um, to be able to sift through and see the areas where that is still serving us, and ultimately to gift ourselves in each and every opportunity, the choice. So for me, that looks like, especially now around book release, I have a lot of feelings um, bubbling all over the place, a lot of energy wrapped up looking for an outlet. So I have two options now. I can channel all of that energy into the very real endless obligations that are on my schedule. I might choose to do that, Or I might choose to acknowledge my feelings in a different way or to give myself and offer myself grace or compassion and not go into doing mode. Choice, I think, is the ultimate goal. And we get choice when we can pull back, have that that perspective, have that vantage point of being able to see what is serving us, though ultimately always gifting ourselves with the opportunity to choose, to say, here's this moment now. Um, For me, that means taking a self-assessment, seeing how much time, energy, resources do I have available for my obligations, because my autopilot doesn't do that. It bypasses the resource assessment and just looks at my schedule and says, oh, well, if it's there, I must do. And now I understand that's not true. If my resources aren't aligned for whatever is in front of me in any given day, I still have the opportunity to make a choice to either conserve my resources so that I can show up more fully and wholly, or to modify the appointment to say, hey, I can't right there. So for me, it's that self-assessment piece um, that is breaking that older habit where I gift myself with that choice. Um, So for all of us listening, pulling back, understanding some of the habits that you might have developed as an adaptation, born often out of pain or not being seen or acknowledged that might still serve you. However, gifting yourself in each and every opportunity to decide in that moment, whether they're serving that moment, because something else I'm learning about being human is we're ever changing. Our needs really do evolve day to day, year to year as we age in life. So this idea of this external, oh, because it's on my schedule or, oh, because I said I would, a lot of us begin to operate in that way without having that, wait a minute, I'm a changing human. Can I now? Do I have the resources available to me now? Or do I have another need that I could meet better?
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. That choice is a tricky thing too, because um, I literally just got off the phone with my manager. I've had a pretty hard past couple days and he was like, well, do you want to reschedule everything? I said, no, man. You know, like she just released this book. She was just on Aubrey's podcast. Like her schedule, I guarantee is, is stack full. So I value that time. And me, my default when I'm having a hard time is work. Nope, I'm still going to the gym. I'm still doing my podcast. I'm still doing interviews. I'm, you know, like, and in, in we're in similar spots right now because you are in your book thing and we're in the process of single releases and stuff like that. So my days are a lot of having the same conversations with different people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the thing, I had this very pivotal moment. It was three, four years ago, we were on tour with Michael Franti. And we were having a conversation. He's like, man, when I was your age, I knew I wasn't that good of a guitar player or that good of a singer, but I knew that I could outwork any motherfucker out there. And I was like, yo, that's me. That's (laughs) me. You know, I'm not a remarkable musician, but I will grind and grind and grind. And I don't want the easy route. I want the obstacles. I want, you know, I want things to put my head down and plow through. And when COVID happened, it kind of hit me with this like, Oh, well, what now? What am I now? And realizing like, Oh, I have a, ch- I've been making the conscious choice to be a workaholic. That's not actually who I am. That is this, <laughs> that is this place that I hide that is productive. So I can go, Oh no, I'm getting shit done. I'm not hiding from anything. I'm getting shit done. Um, and it, it's been interesting um, as I'm sure it has with everyone talking with people through this, the this craziness of COVID and seeing, what they did with their time. You know, for me, I went, okay, well now I'm really going to dive into therapy. Now I'm really going to dive into the gym. And now I'm really going to explore who I am outside of this thing. Because um, as I'm sure if you haven't experienced it already with a book out, you're about to, once you release that thing out into the world, and I'm sure with your Instagram page, it's already that way, you are being related at all times to this little box. So everywhere I go, I'm related to songs I wrote in a notebook six years ago. I'm related to some performance that I gave that was on a Wednesday that I don't remember. Um, And it almost tricks you into going, oh, yeah, well, I'm just satsang. I'm just this thing. So when that pause happened, I feel like it was the first time I had choice because my schedule was always laid out a year in advance for me. Here's where you'll be, you know where are you going to be March 17th? Uh, St. Louis. You know, so it's like, you know, um, so for me, I, I use that pause and I had to learn choice um, and I had to learn boundaries and go, yeah, well, no, I don't want to do anything. I'm actually just going to take my sons and go on the mountain. So no, I'm not going to do a podcast today. Um, but I think it's, it, it's so hard um, to sift through that choice because like, like we were just saying is there's, there's so many productive outlets, particularly when you're a creative that don't feel like hiding, they don't feel like running. Um, and for me, that was a big aha. I related so much to what you were just saying. Um, and for me, that, that, um, that achievement has always been a big thing. And for me, it has always been um, to be taken seriously. That was why I wanted to achieve because so much early on in a music career, you're playing for nobody, you're releasing shit no one's listening to. So everyone's just like, Oh yeah, he's trying to be a musician. So once you start achieving, people start taking you more seriously. And I got very addicted to that. Um, so it's hard not to identify with our thing. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about diet and not, not just food, but intake, you know, a powerful thing for me was looking at what I was listening to, what kind of music I was listening to on a regular basis. Um, how I was eating, what I was doing. Um, And we'll start with music um, because I want to get your take on this. You posted a video the other day with a Nipsey Hussle song on it. And that made me, A, very happy because Nipsey is one of my favorites. But I've had to compartmentalize when I can listen to Nipsey um, because there's a lot of that. um, I mean, you listen to most good MCs and the message is, I'm a motherfucking island. No one can fuck with me. I got this. I'm the man. Um, and I found last summer in the heat of my work, I was like, Oh shit, man. I love Nas, but he's really reinforcing this thought pattern that I have. Um, and I, and I was curious what, what your thoughts are on that as far as the intake of, uh, of music, uh, food, activity, friendships, and, and the role that plays in, in, <laughs> in our pathology.
1: I love this. Uh, This is actually really connected to something I wanted to share hearing you speak earlier, though. What I will start to introduce, um, just talking about this idea of consumption, um, which is I I introduce a a topic in my work and I go into it deeper in the book um, that I call emotional addiction, which is this idea that so many of us have an emotional baseline, a familiar emotional home, if you will, that originated quite early in life. So for me, I'll share mine. Mine is stress. Like you heard, I had the family who always had the next fire to put out. So my emotional climate became became stress-induced, stressful. Um, with stress, there's hormones, there's cortisol, there's adrenaline, there's a feeling in the body that becomes so familiar that what begins to happen is when we're not having, so for me, when my body isn't registering the increased cortisol, the increased adrenaline that goes along with stress, it feels unfamiliar to my system because I'm so used to, that's become my familiar home. So what I've noticed, and I observed this in myself and as I began to speak of it, I'm hearing a lot of resonance in others, which is we tend to orchestrate or create then our environments of familiarity. So I'll just share what that looked like for me and how this all kind of wraps in, in terms of consumption. What I've noticed, I'm a hippie at heart. For as long as you would have asked me what I want in life, it's some version of a hammock, peace signs, and leave me alone and let's all kumbaya, live in peace and love and happiness. When I'm in the moment, right, where there's a possibility of peace, love, and happiness, say I'm either alone on a Sunday and there's nothing on my to-do list, or my partner and I are having a, 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 a slow Sunday, again, nothing to do. What I would notice is one of two things would happen. I would have so much agitation in my body that I actually couldn't sit still Um, A running joke in my family for a very long time is that my middle name might as well be I'm bored. Nicole, I'm bored, LaPera. And anytime I'm bored, I need to do something. So very true to form in my adulthood on those very, you know, casual Sundays, I'd be cleaning the house from top to bottom or doing something. Um, If I didn't choose to do something, another thing that would come up for me is I would agitate my relationships. If my partner was in front of me, my mind might want to revisit that look that she gave me over breakfast when I said whatever I said. And (laughs) you know what, now this is a great time to bring that up. And before you know it, I'm in what one might call a conflict. And what I realized is that we become so familiar with some of our emotional states, so practiced. And again, this really highlights that connection between the mind and the body. That when my mind right was scanning my body and was wondering where the cortisol and the stress was it was sending the signals up to create the situation in my mind to create the racing thoughts to find where the issue was and we're all very good at finding out or imagining where an issue is so before long i was right back into that stressed out state that i was so familiar with now this applies to anything this could be sadness could be our our emotional home for some of us anger for others. And so what I began to understand is how powerful, again, that pull is. So that applies to consumption. So what I still see myself doing when I have a moment and something I've been dealing with a lot and how this all wraps in is when I'm not doing right, I have a team around me now. I am so grateful that I have other humans committed to this mission to show up and help, help me, support me, do things some days where I don't have the resources. Yet I had this moment this weekend. I had my team in, they were helping me ship out books. I am at an emotional, physical zero in terms of my energy, I'm exhausted. There were so many moments this weekend where I made the choice, right, to allow the team, you know, very competent team to package up books for me while I was doing something else elsewhere. And the only thing I could think about is guilt. They're doing and I'm not, they're doing and I'm not. I need to show up doing. So what I would do in those moments, and this is how that emotional addiction comes to play in terms of consumption, now that we all walk around with phones attached to virtual communities, humans, other people with accounts and ideas, what I love to do when I'm agitated, right? So I feel I'm feeling badly that I'm there working and I'm not. Here's that, right? That expectation happening again. I find it very difficult to rest when other people are doing, especially in support of me. So what I notice myself doing, as I always do when I have that internal agitation, that compulsion to get my hit of stress. And I know every Instagram account to find it. I know every negative review and where to go for my dose of stress. That compulsion is so strong for me. So when we talk about consumption, I offer the suggestion to do two things become really conscious about how and when we're consuming the things we're consuming, whether it's food, whether it's content, whatever it might be, there might be a deeper why in there, right? There might be a reason in those moments why we feel compelled to consume and then checking in and dropping in and seeing how we feel while we're consuming whatever that content in is and after we're consuming that content. What many of us will find, and I'll again, speak from my experience is, that stress, that addiction to stress is right below the surface for me, especially when I have something to be stressed about and I don't have the outlet, I go into that emotional spiral. I look for the thing to be stressed about. You'll see me then looking at the negative review, agitating myself until I'm in alignment. Well, of course, this is why I'm stressed right now because someone is saying something negative about my work. However, if I pull back, I can understand deeper what's happening. I'm struggling with allowing myself to be supported. I'm feeling very normal emotions with everything that's happening in my world, right? And I can deserve peace and rest in this moment even when other people are working around me, right? So pulling back, understanding what's going on at the deeper level, and again, gifting us choice, albeit uncomfortable, um, that's still very uncomfortable for me to sit in that space accepting support, Um, when I'm resting and other people are doing. And again, all of this connects to my onion. I'm not being considered. The only way I was once considered is by showing, by doing, by showing up for my relationships, for others, by bringing home the A. And all of this gets activated now in those moments where I feel driven to consume, for me, stressful content so that I can be in alignment. Though over time, you know, cultivating, I'm able to speak now with all of this insight and at times actualize, um, and what I'm cultivating now is the familiarity with rest, right? Allowing my body to settle into not doing mood because I, like you, have been so used to channeling, doing, keeping myself busy as a distraction on on some very real level.
0: Yeah. I there was so much there that I that I related to. One thing that I really want to circle with you is because for the first time in my life, really, I mean it doesn't hurt my feelings. If we release a song and someone comments, "This song sucks. Yeah. All right. I mean, people release shit all the time. I don't like, Um, but I recently had a guy named JP Sears on the podcast. And I mean, I knew it was going to be semi-controversial. He's, he's a bit of a character, um, but he's actually one of the sweetest human beings uh, that I've ever encountered Uh, super spiritual. um, But he's, he's made a, he's made a living out of poking the bear. And um, so I knew having him on the podcast was going to be somewhat controversial, but I didn't think it would be as it was. People lost their shit. And um, for the first time in my life, I had people um, personally attacking me, not just like, fuck your hat. You know, there's always been like funny (laughs) people that will like, we we posted a, a... one of the coolest pictures that's ever been taken of me. And this guy commented, fuck your hat last summer. And it became like this inside <laughs> joke of just like, oh, okay, bud. Um, <laughs> and um, what I what I want to talk about is um, how, for me, this is me asking, but I think a lot of people will um, will pull from it. For me, I grew up in an environment where you were held accountable for things that you said. And you never, ever, ever would challenge somebody or say something to someone because we grew up fighting, you know, and it was like, if you said some shit about someone, you were going to have to see him about it one way or the other, you were going to have to see him. And that was just the environment that I, that I grew up in as far back as I can remember. My brother was always going to see somebody about something that was said. And. So that was something that was really ingrained in me. And it, and it's funny when we're talking about the feeling of when we're consuming and then the feeling post-consuming, because when I was getting all of these hateful comments and some of them were just terrible, very, very personal attacks. And I'm at the gym listening to heat by 50 cent, lifting weights. And I'm texting my manager like, yo, I'm gonna get on Facebook. I'm gonna find this motherfucker's address. I'm gonna go see this dude, you know, and um and then a few hours later post protein shake post shower i'm like oh man imagine what that dude's life is like that that he took time out of his day to come shit on something i did like how what an outrageous thing you know like for me if i see something i don't like i keep scrolling i'm not like ooh i'm going to let this dude know mm-hmm. um so, so what can we do in those moments, when and and maybe it's not on social media. Maybe it's we heard someone close to us said something bad about us. Uh, somebody that we thought we had mutual respect with, or on social media when 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 someone is trying to cut us down to not revert back to um that anger and that and that reaction. Because for me, I'm so reactive in that, and it comes from this place of right wrong. and 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 how it is in my head is like unless you want to see me face to face you can't say that and that's just not the reality of the world with social media someone you know I'm never going to see that person that said that terrible thing and they know that and that's why they're they're doing it um so what's your take on that because I would imagine with three and a half million Instagram followers you get some harsh comments every once in a while
1: I think I'm a going to adopt your your hat comment and as a running joke because the things that have been commented on everything from my appearance my delivery to my actual messaging has definitely been there um you know going into it understanding that i'm i'm talking about you know shifting essentially the paradigm of of psychology i went in knowing that there would be some degree um, of reaction around you know this new holistic model of wellness Though, of course, some of the commentary, it was totally unre- unexpected and definitely there. So I definitely understand what you're, what you're sharing about. And it's difficult. And I, I can give two suggestions, um, both connect it. So at the core, what I think is really helpful is to understand how or to, to create a habit of not taking these sort of comments personally, depersonalizing, I call it pulling back and understanding just like you beautifully came to that awareness yourself of hurt people hurt people right when we're Mm -hmm. in a reaction and i'll be the first to share i've said and done mean things that are so out of alignment from what i believe my soul embodies when i'm in a reaction when i'm speaking reacting being from that place of wounding so as much as i can hold and i practice holding that compassion for myself Right. Understanding that when someone else is in their wounded subconscious mind, um, you know, chances are they don't mean it as well. They're reacting to, again, probably a very real hurt um, that's being activated in that moment. So pulling back and and offering that human the same compassion that we can cultivate, because this is all a practice, Far, far majority of us actually are quite critical of ourselves in those reactions. We carry a lot of shame for something we did and said 10 years ago. Um, so this is a practice of cultivating that personal, that compassion for the self, that then we can expand and extend to others. Sometimes, the second suggestion, is we can do that when time, with time, right? So something that I speak about in my book, which I think is, is not the lived experience for most of us, though it's the reality that emotions as pure energetic hormonal experiences in our bodies, which is what they are at their core, last around 90 seconds. They have a shelf life. They come to an end. If you allow them to be the sensations, the hormonal shifts, energetic changes that they are. What most of us do, because listeners are probably like, what do you mean? I've definitely been sad for way longer than 90 seconds. I was going to say. Decades of life, right? Yeah. This is because we don't just, we're not allowing our feelings to just live as the sensations in our body that they are. Our body actually does want to recalibrate back to baseline. It does want to have a stressful experience, if you will, and come back into that peaceful, you know, state of calm. We don't want to be stuck in these emotional addictions that so many of us are living. And the reason why we become stuck and people like yourself are like, what do you mean? I've been sad, angry or whatever for years, it's yeah. because we have brought it up to our mind, right? We've now created stories about what happens. We're now thinking about how this always happens and how this, right? We're doing mental gymnastics. We've pulled it from the body experience that it is at its core. And we've now we're living it on in our mind. And when we're doing that, because our brains are neuroplastic, we're creating all of these neural networks now that we're firing so consistently that they're, that's what's being stored in our autopilot. Um, so becoming, you know, conscious to all of this is is such an important aspect um, of the work because when we become conscious, we can begin to separate and break that habitual pattern, teaching ourselves how to be with our emotions as pure sensation, physiological events, so that we can actually release them over time, so that feelings don't live on as they do for so many of us. So when you get write that comment online as you beautifully maybe naturally did because you were on the treadmill and you didn't have time right to write the comment or to google his his home so that you could plan <laughs> your attack
0: right
1: time naturally might have just went by or we can you know actualize that we can put the phone down we can set a timer if in 10 minutes i'm still as upset about this now the question is how am i going to spend those 10 minutes am i going to ruminate about what i'm upset with rehearse the problem itself and what i'm going to say to this person? Or might I take 10 minutes and go on a mindful conscious walk where I'm focusing my attention on just my body moving through space and time? Chances are, if I do the latter, when I come back and where that alarm goes off 10 minutes later, just like you after the gym, we're kind of like, Meh, I'm in a different emotional space because chances are you are. you're in a different part of your brain. You can make different sense of this. So at our core, what we want to practice is depersonalizing, pulling back, Right, seeing the complexity that is a human, that some people's reactions probably likely often have nothing to do with us. We were just the activating event, if you will. And for a lot of us, that means giving ourselves time, allowing ourselves to have our emotion, shifting back into our conscious, right, prefrontal cortex where consciousness lives as the choice, and then creating a new choice in time. Not many of us can do that in the moment. So sometimes I'll intervene with myself and I'll make myself put that phone away before I construct, you know, the the response that I know I don't really want to offer. And when I revisit it, if I still want to 10 minutes next tomorrow, I will still have that opportunity. A lot shifts and changes then for many of us, we are past that emotion and we can expand and create a new choice that we can then deliver. Um, So depersonalizing and sometimes we need to do that with time and space.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of power in what you said. With the un uh, the the unidentifying with our thoughts and saying no, 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 this is not me. This is this this is a thought. This is not me. You know, I think fucked up stuff all the time, and how I you know, and how <laughs> whether I act on that again goes back to choice. Um, and it's so funny because I can have that that aha. And then a week later, it'll come up in my head again. I'm like, that son of a bitch, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, and I'm right back in that place. And it's, um, I think a huge thing um, for me in the breakthrough was, was there was one dude in particular that had, that had said some pretty terrible things. And I was in it, man, I was in my feelings and I direct messaged him and I said, Hey, yo, I bet you five G's. If you see me on the street, you cross the street. And he screenshotted that and shared it. And I had this aha of like, oh, this is what he wanted. This was like it. He's winning now. This is what he wanted was this engagement. And um, I had a really cool talk. I was just down in Texas and did Aubrey's podcast. And um, then him and I just spent a day hanging out and we were talking about it. And he was like, man, the most powerful thing, that tool that I've found on, on social media is not blocking people, but muting them. So they make their shitty comment, but sure. nobody can see it. Yeah.
1: Our best so, friend.
0: Yeah. So it's like, he's like, and he knew the, he knew the guy's Instagram <laughs> handle. He was, he brought up like this one guy in particular and he was like, dude, I could have posted, I'm giving a million dollars to charity. And this guy would have something to say about it, you know? And he's like, so I restricted him and he was like, it was funny within four days he went away. Cause he was like, Oh, no one's liking, no one's engaging with my shit talk. Oh well. Okay, I'll go find a new target. Um, and it's um, it's real interesting when we can, like you said, hurt people, hurt people. Um, and I've I've kind of I want to talk to you uh, a little bit about mixed martial arts and, and this weird backwards way that it's given me a phenomenal empathy. Because um, that's one of those things, right? Is you see this angry person that's the troll, and they don't get their engagement. And then they pitter-patter off with their head down and go, oh man, I didn't get him. And for me, um, mixed martial arts has been a huge outlet for me um, over the past four years. It's, it's just dramatically changed my life. And, and oddly enough, getting punched in the face biweekly has given me an immense sense of empathy for other human beings. And what happens in those rooms when we are, Um, surrounded by professional fighters um, and trying to learn how to do what they're doing is very humbling and it's very hard and the only way to get better is to do it and what I've gathered um, I've yet to meet a fighter that I didn't like um, that didn't seem very centered and just okay with themselves you know what I mean and and what i've kind of boiled that down to is the question of where is my limit where are my capabilities is brought into question every week you know and what i'm starting to notice is that there's a lot of people that don't know where um where their line is so they're looking for it in very unhealthy way i found this through through martial arts. Some people find it uh, lifting weights. Some people find it through yoga, through meditation, um, and I kind of want your take on that. And not necessarily just physical output, um, but those activities where we are searching for um, a, a bottomless pit. Because the you know, like uh, the example I'll share was when I was just in Texas, I was hanging out with Justin Wren who runs Fight for the Forgotten, he's probably the most phenomenal human being ever, but he is a very, very high-level fighter. I said, well, hey, man, I'd love to get some training in while I'm down here, and he goes, oh, well, I'll put a room together. The fucking room he put together was the literally the most winningest grappler on the planet, the second most winningest grappler on the planet, the third most winningest grappler on the planet, and then Tim fucking Kennedy, and I I showed up just like, wow, and I and I rolled with these guys, and as a purple belt that's been doing jujitsu for four years, I felt like it was my first day. No one was even going hard. And the, and the humbling aspect was I'm rolling with Lovato and he is just dismantling me. So ever so slowly. And I look at his face and he, you could tell he was thinking about what he wanted for lunch. He was, <laughs> there was, there was no challenge for him. So there is this 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 humbling thing, and for me, a, a, a huge outlet for that too is meditation. I'm so bad at it, but there's no end goal in mind. You never win meditation. Um, somebody eventually will have more wins than Lovato. Um, so talk a little bit about just the importance of uh, of seeking those bottomless activities, right? You're never going to be a world champion yoga practitioner. There's no end. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think the connection is there with healthy people mentally and the pursuit of those activities.
1: Uh, I'll start by acknowledging that I think quite universally for us humans, a lot of us, and maybe I'll speak from my own experience, struggle with those endless activities, with the lack of completion or doneness. Um, for a very long time, I think I desperately was looking um, with this idea that if once I got to that, you know, proverbial done place, that you know, I could stop, I could rest, I could, here we go again, find that peace. Um, and I think a lot of us at our core struggle um, with the process of life, with the lack of doneness, though, so in the lived experience of, of that, because I couldn't agree more um, with, I call, it, you know, the journey of life, living, doing is the ultimate teacher of wisdom. Uh, many of us read books, even in my book, everything, you know, most of the concepts I'm talking about have been spoken by other messengers in different ways um, before. it is the doing. Um, that, in my opinion, creates that wisdom that we're all looking um, in terms of our journey. So for many of us, it is a process of those limitless activities or challenging ourselves. whether it's in our bodies um, through something like mixed martial arts or yoga, or our minds through sitting and learning how to separate ourselves from our thoughts and be within in our stillness, it's learning how to do it gradually. Because so many of us have created adaptations when we lacked safety or security in any of those areas of self-expression around our physical self, around our emotions, around our spiritual selves. Um, so we don't want to dive right into the, to the deep end. We want to show ourselves how much we can tolerate. You have a beautiful line um, in one of your songs that I just absolutely love. So not to paint you in a box, um, though. Oh, I love it. I mean, I love all of your work, but uh, made for it. Um, was just, it might as well be my mantra. I, I listen to it so regularly in terms of the work. And you speak in there about this concept of showing yourself how much one is capable of. Um, I'm not using your exact wording, but that's what I hear. And anytime we're talking about any of these you know, new choices that we make, learning mixed martial arts, learning yoga, learning how to sit in silence, possibly with no end, we're showing ourselves what we're capable of. We're cultivating what I find most of us lack in adulthood. We're cultivating a new resilience, a new ability. At one time where life did feel overwhelming and all we could do was adapt, now we're again creating that empowered choice. And we're showing ourselves, perhaps through mixed martial art that you can be in the ring or whatever it's called with you know, the best. And you might not win, though you can challenge your body. You can do a bit more than you maybe thought you once could. Same thing applies with yoga, right? You can now stretch a bit more in an uncomfortable position than you once thought you could. Same thing with meditation. You can now maybe embrace turning within for an extra minute than you once thought you could. And again, what we're doing, it's not the what, it's not whether it's mixed martial art for you or yoga for me or meditation over here because one is better. It's the function of showing up for yourself in that new resilient way Rebuilding or cultivating the capacity to tolerate more and more stress on the human body or on the emotional body, as so many of us adapt it not to do right we've almost adapted ways to avoid really showing ourselves what we're capable of so once we're able to cultivate the appropriate resources, of course, to do so safely to have the supports right, to know how and when I can control my body, if I do start to, you know, have some feelings that feel overwhelming, very gradually, what we're doing in all of the work in mixed martial arts to yoga to meditation, is we're cultivating new resilience. Because like I said earlier, we don't know what what is coming, you know, behind the door of my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, I don't know how life will continue to be for me as you don't know how life will be for you or ever evolving creatures. However, if we have that internal resilience, we know we can walk forward into the unknown and tolerate it regardless of how uncomfortable it may be.
0: Yeah, that's dead on. Yeah, I think I think for me I see a lot of people that want I I think comfort is the cousin of death, you know? I think there's a for me anyway what I've found to be true in my life is that, that stagnancy just, and not just with me, but but so many people close to me that where depression, sadness, self-loathing really tend to take hold is in that stagnancy where it's, I've seen just through Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I've I've seen so many people with no self-confidence that are out of shape, that don't love their job, but jujitsu gives them this thing that they can always come back to and say, Hey, I'm working on this. You know, I have this. And, and so similarly with yoga too, um, you know, you see it carry people through divorces, through deaths, through um, the, the importance of having a practice. And I, and I think so much of our mental health issues, especially in a time like COVID comes from this feeling of stagnancy, of I'm not working on anything. I'm not doing anything at all. Um, Or the comfort of, you know, I was just having this, my 20-year-old stepson is, is in this place right now where he's in Austin, he's working, but he's making just kind of enough to get by. And I was just kind of warning him that dude you're going to blink and be 25 so be very careful like have your fun make your mistakes he doesn't party or anything like that but just that the cycle of i go to work i pay my bills but i'm not really working on anything it 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 devours time faster than anything ever and, and i think so much of isolation and depression comes from lack of challenge um, and then you you have these people on the far extreme, you have the David Goggins that go, yeah, dude, I try to kill myself every day. <laughs> and then there's the people that's like, no, I, I go to jujitsu on Tuesday, you know, and I think it's all about finding, like you're saying, where that is for any given in, in any given individual. Um, but the challenge is such a good thing, but it's so hard to get people to To chase that and say, no, 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 man, get in the ice bath, go to jujitsu, go for a run, do the hard thing. Um, my bass player and best friend, Carl, you know, he struggled with depression for so long. And then, you know, watching me is this, you know, I'm kind of on the far end of the spectrum where if I don't go to the gym, I'm not very pleasant. Um, so I have to, I have this very regimented thing, you know, like if we're on tour. I'll lose the two hours of sleep when we get to the hotel at three so I can work out. Um, and he saw that and was just like, well, fuck, you know, and I would always tell him and I tell everyone, yeah, I'm not special. I just make that choice that even when I don't want to go, I make myself. Um, and then a, a, it becomes a habit, but B, like I said, there's always this thing I can fall back on when I feel inadequate in all of these other areas, I can still go, well, at least I'm doing this, you know, that's more than a lot of people are doing. Um, with that being said, uh, before I get to our like closing questions that I kind of ask everyone, I, um, I want to talk about something that I think is real prevalent in our culture, especially with social media, um, that was a game changer for me, and that is the comparison game. I always was playing this, yeah, Satsung's doing great, but my best friend Trevor has you know 1.5 million monthly listeners on Spotify and he's selling 1700 tickets a night and, and and always this comparison of it makes it hard to be present you know and and especially in the era of social media where everything is a highlight reel you know if i had a camera crew around me 24/7 people would be like oh man this guy's life isn't that interesting but i post a cool black and white picture of me on a horse or chopping some wood and everyone's like oh man he's just out there living the dream you know um so what, yeah, what's your, your take on that comparison game? Because a big thing for me as a parent, it was inhibiting because I was always relating to my kids in the way of, well, man, when I was 15, I was on my own selling drugs to, make, to pay my bills. I had no loving compassion around me, except my friends that were doing the same shit. And switching that into, okay, but if I was you, With your life experience and your understanding of the universe, how would I feel if this was said to me? Um, So yeah, just talk a bit about that. I I know you fully grasp what I'm talking about.
1: The internet um, offers us endless opportunities to compare, to see the pictures, and comparison in and of itself is a is a function of our ego, right? If we can separate or define ourselves based on what someone has or doesn't have compared to me, um, I have. Or so, I feel I have a defined sense of self, and again, for many of us, this self that we've created, it began in childhood, um, and likely by the time we reach adulthood, isn't capturing you know our fullness. yet here we are day in and day out, and we're seeing all of this evidence of others. Something I think about a lot um, is you know outside of the social media world, the virtual world, which is a replica of our of our daily life outside is and I think, and I talk about this a lot. We are all subjective. We are all constantly doing what you beautifully described, filtering the world through our experiences. And one of the most impactful suggestions I ever received actually from a clinical supervisor very early on in my training, I was speaking because I had a client who had anxiety and I'm someone who has a very intimate experience with anxiety. And I was bringing up this client to my supervisor and long story short, somehow anxiety came up and my supervisor suggested and advised that especially when I have a client whose story sounds very similar to my own experience, especially in those moments, that I always make it a point to ask them how it is for them not to assume and paint my story over the very similar experience that I hear them sharing, because it might not be, you know, Uh, exactly a replica. They might be having a different experience. And what I realized in that moment and what I was alerted to is how often we are all doing that. We are all filtering the world through how it was for us. Maybe it's a past us, right? Or, or, Or now us. And we're comparing. And anytime we're doing that, we are subjectifying the experience. We're viewing it through our lived experience as opposed to someone else's. So, keeping that in mind and making that shift and pulling back and saying, okay, this might be what it worked for me, this might be what I might do now, this might be how I might feel right now, though right now it's not about me and then obviously ask intentionally about the other person. Though I think about this a lot because I do know that online offers us that opportunity to compare, to assume we know, to narrate based on what we think we see. And something I talk a lot about too with online, as visible as many of us like yourself and like I am now to however many people are following us, there is a lot of our life that isn't also visible, that is more behind the scenes, that does allow people to create stories in any direction, positive, negative, or neutral. And this is just, in my opinion, a reality about being human. We're all filtering the world through lenses um, that have been impacted by many things that have happened to us in the past. So becoming aware of those lenses and when we can pulling back and then asking the other person or asking for a different and receiving that a different reality that might be separate from our own. And then of course, those of us that just tend to compare online, just to kind of specify in terms of that, acknowledging that habit and tendency, like we said earlier, is there a particular time when you're gonna go down that path of looking at the person who you think is doing better than you, right? Is that maybe serving one of your deeper emotional wounds and addictions? And in those moments, like we spoke about earlier, can we cultivate conscious choice? Can we cultivate a new option where maybe we do pull that lens back and understand that there's a more full story to this person that we're not seeing? Um, And again, gifting us with another emotion that we can then have in response or and another choice, of course
0: yeah I think that's so huge too is like you know for for me as an artist there's i mean there really is no end to it, and I think what the end looks like is is a level of fame that I just I would want nothing to do with um and i I was very much always addicted to it. sounds like you were academically too with always well, what's next? okay, well, now this is off the list, what's next? what's next? you know, and I look back at some of the what should have been some of the most phenomenal, enjoyable times in my career, which was went from playing for nobody, but working my ass off to get on bigger tours and then on these bigger tours, but was always planning. Okay, well, after this tour, we have to do our own tour again. And are we gonna sell tickets? And I'm stressed out about this shit that's a year from now (laughs) that I can't control, but here I am in it. And I look back at this magical, six seven months of my life where I was playing these giant theaters with Michael Franci, and I wasn't fucking there for any of it and the irony was he had a song called called every second which literally the chorus is enjoy every second <laughs> and I would get up on stage and do that song with him every night and it was only in that moment we were singing the song was like yeah you're right Michael I should <laughs> But then right, right after, you know, I was back in the like, oh, fuck. Well, okay. We were doing, we were in Dallas. I I wonder what it's going to be like when we come back to Dallas by ourselves. And, you know, and that's just the nature of it. And, and there's, oh, like you're saying, there's always more to the story. You know, I think it's so easy in this, this culture that is addicted to, to fame and likes and uh, affirmation from strangers that um, it's just never what it looks like, you know, like, I think so many kids are growing up seeing the Justin Bieber's and the whoever, I don't really follow pop music, so that's <laughs> the only one I know, um, that are just like, oh my God, man, he's got the life, he's living, you know, he's, he's got four houses and a yacht and a Lamborghini. And it's like, yeah, but he can't go get a cup of coffee by himself. You know, imagine how lonely that is. Um, and, and one one thing that I just saw in in Texas is I was surrounded by people that were all very, very successful that were in their forties that are now taking part in this like psychedelic renaissance. They got the money, they got the success, and realized that wasn't it, so now they're going to yoga, meditation, psychedelics, they're going through all these other outlets and getting in touch with their spirit because the things that they thought were it weren't it and to me that is just so um so encouraging and 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 really shook me again to to the importance of being present and and enjoying every second as as michael would say (laughs) um so i'm going to ask you some music questions and then i'll cut you loose i appreciate you so much for taking time and i can only imagine just releasing a book last week how busy you've been um and, and i can't wait to read your book what's also been really cool so you know um so many of my friends going through their instagram stories have been posting pictures of your book and and, and saying you got to read this shit. um <laughs> so it's been really cool um knowing that we were going to do this podcast seeing you drop your book and then seeing people um in my friend groups reading your book and having profound realizations and me going oh i'm about to have her on the podcast and then being like no shit, listen <laughs> dude here you got to read this shit, you know so um, that makes me really happy, both both for you and for them. Um, all right. So, what was the first record or song that made you cry?
1: Oh, interesting. What is the first record or song that made me cry? Um, hmm. Really good question. Though know, I do cry over music often. So music in general, for me, speaking of consciousness in the moment, was one of the first times putting music in that I could be. Present in the moment. I'm having a hard time. I might have to come back to this one in terms of what one made me cry.
0: Okay. Favorite hip hop album of all time? Favorite hip hop album of all time.
1: Um, my favorite hip hop album of all time would be I Like So Many. Um, you're killing me with these music questions today, Drew. I'm like, not in my <laughs> music mind. I'm not in my music mind. Um, I love old Tupac. I love old Biggie. I, know, I don't have a, a preference of one obviously how about your
0: favorite one right now
1: um I'm listening to a lot of russ i know he doesn't do the albums um yep. More or the single drop i think i actually resonate with a lot of what russ is singing about these days too so he's t- most top of mind i would say in terms of hip-hop
0: i love that yeah i got hip to him um gary vee had posted this song me you and dude when i listened to that song yeah, that's my shit. That's actually the first song on my workout playlist.
1: I think Gary Vee is how I got introduced to Russ as well, a couple years ago, a year ago.
0: Yeah, love Gary. Um, so, what are, what are three bands that you're listening to right now regularly?
1: Three bands that I'm listening to right now. I don't have a band, I have all of my. Um, I'm a Spotify girl who has. Um, I, have, I need my phone for all of this. To, to identify, who the hell am I listening to? I'm actually like been in my book orbit and not really listening to any music. Let's see who's on my liked songs. Uh, no one with a full album, to be honest. I'm a single person girl. Got some Kaleidoscope, Penny and Sparrow. Um, so no one person. I tend to find, I'm a, a relier on my playlist. Spotify likes knows my genres and I pick Songs here and there.
0: Yeah, it's so cool that we live in an era where, like, yeah, it's so funny how many artists uh, complain about Spotify and music being free. I'm a huge proponent of it because the, just the amount of times that we've been at a show and I go to the merch booth after the show and someone's standing there with two t shirts, a poster, and a CD and they're like, dude, I found you on Spotify. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> cool, it's working.
1: Yeah. Um, I do a, I do for our self healer circle too. We do, I do a, um, I call curate a, a monthly playlist and I just love it because it really just introduces me to new artists too, because I'm not a radio person. I really haven't been um, so unless it comes across my Spotify, I'm really not in tune with new music, though. Spotify does a great job. So this is not a Spotify ad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh,
0: Spotify has actually helped me less than than any of the streaming services in my career. But I'm very grateful for them and love them very much because of that reason of like, A, I like it when sometimes I don't want to, it's almost too much. It's that like choice fatigue. It's like, I don't know what the fuck I want to listen to. And Spotify's always like, hey, we got gotcha. you. You know, <laughs> here's a list of shit you'll probably like.
1: Yeah, and they're great
0: um final final question how do you want to be remembered
1: i love this one so i'd like to be remembered um as someone who empowered someone to create change um my work is or my hope for my work is is not really about accolades to me it's what are you going to go out and do in the world um how are you going to impact whether it's just your community around you or you know, kind of whatever it is that you're doing and inspiring people to, to find their purpose and to live in it, you know, especially with a digital age that we can actualize many of our purposes. Um, that's how I would like to be remembered. So less about me and more about what what are you doing and what change are you empowering yourself to make Um, I am so inspired by humans and watching the community, you know, show up in healing in this movement of self healers is what inspires me each and every day to despite everything we've been talking about of social media being, you know, in the in the spotlight in this way and all that comes with that. um, It is what inspires me to keep showing up because I just think humans are incredible. And I know so many of us are not living um fully in our purposes because of our conditioning, though it is possible. So if I'm remembered by someone, um, given the change they were able to make in their life, that would be the most meaningful remembrance for me.
0: I love it. That's perfect. Well thank you so much. Um, hopefully we come to Philadelphia soon. I would love to have you at a show. Um
1: out in LA now, and, so when you're on the Oh, well side. we'll be
0: in LA this fall. So I love it. Um, well Love thank it. you so much for your time
1: funny i had tickets too and you were in philly last time and for some reason, I forget what came up. I ended up having to to leave Philly the day that I was supposed to see you. And I was pretty upset because I saw you around town posting in your story. And I
0: was like, damn it.
1: And obviously now yeah. I'm speaking to you. So it, when yeah. you're in LA, you might very well likely see me at your show.
0: <laughs> yes, we'll be there this fall if everything goes according to plan. Well, everybody go uh, check out Dr. Nicole's book, How to Do the Work. It's out now. Um, and I'll talk more about that in the outro. But thank you so much for your time. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. All right, bye bye. All right, I hope y'all dug that. Um, I'm not sure who the next podcast guest is going to be. Yeah, fucking Dell from Unlimited Sciences. Um, yeah, probably, um, probably one of the coolest humans that I've met in the last year. Top three for sure. Just a super rad guy doing amazing, amazing, amazing work. Um, work that I'm excited to. Um, get to be a part of in the coming years Um, so yeah if you don't know about unlimited sciences look them up Um, because next week we will have Dell the founder of uh, unlimited sciences on the podcast that's all I got for you guys Uh, be good take care of one take care of one another drink water God bless you